Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome to another episode, everyone. Yes. Hello, listeners. We're happy to be with you. Yeah, so we, we record these podcasts for you in your office, Christopher. Where, yes, indeed. Which is part of our garage at our home. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes it sound like you're in the garage. It's the same building right. as the garage, but it's a it's a It's, it's a three-bay garage. One of the bays was turned into an office yes. before we even bought this property. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons we knew this property was perfect for us. Yes. And on the shelves are many books. It's kind of a library, understandably, with all the research that you do. But there are also your own books that you've written, which from both of those sets of shelves, sometimes during podcast episodes, you, Christopher will jump up and grab a book because he knows there's something he wants yep. to read and answer to a question. And so it's a perfect place to be where you can access those things. But looking at um, just on a recent episode, how you picked up a, one of your books to read a quote, um, I just thought it would be fun for our listeners to know how you ever got started writing books in the first place. Well, also reading books. How did I get started reading yeah, books? Really? I didn't read. This is so strange. I did not read a book like cover to cover through all of grade school and high school. Every time a book was assigned, I would just watch the movie. <laughs> I don't think I read a book cover to cover until... I was. Well, my mom forced me. My mom made a deal with me in 1985 that I could go see Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, <laughs> it was a rated R movie. She didn't want me to see it, and but she had a little leverage here. Uh -huh. She said, okay, I'll let you go see it if you read the book, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. Mm -hmm. Which is a true story yeah. about a, a pastor ministering to yeah. street gangs, I yeah. think. Right? So I, I did read that book cover to cover in the summer of 1985 as payment for going to see Beverly Hills Cop with some friends. But anyway, that was the first time I ever read a book. And I didn't read another book until I was in my 20s and I had a, a conversion or a reversion, came back to my faith, and I couldn't get enough. I was just learning, 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 and reading, reading, reading. If somebody would have told me as a teenager, I would read not only read all these books, but be an author. Uh, I just uh, write books. What? I mean, the, the idea of writing a book report was just like three pages. I hated. <laughs> but when you have, when you want to learn and when you have something to say, you have new motivations. That's true. And when it's the Lord, uh, you want to learn about and you want to write about, there's no end to it because he's infinite is an infinite mystery. Yeah. So on that note, we also want to promote the writing of our dear friend. Rose Sweet. Rose has written 15 books, amazingly, but it's like you, you know, you're passionate about sharing what the Lord has done and helping people who are on a journey. So her books are called, some of them are um, A Catholic Woman's Guide to Happiness, A Catholic Woman's Guide to Romance, Guide to Relationships, Guide to Temperaments, um, and many other topics, all of which she incorporates theology of the body because it's so central to her understanding of who we are and what the Lord is doing in our lives and how that can help us on our journey. Rose is not only an official sponsor of this podcast episode, but she's also a dear friend. We've known her for many, many years. She's a woman of great wit, a woman of great wisdom, 
Uh, I would certainly recommend you check out her books. Go to her website, rosesweet.com. She's also a personal coach and a Catholic speaker and teacher. Bring her to an event. Uh, if you want help in integrating theology of the body into your own life, she does a lot of work with uh, divorced couples as well. She has a particular focus there and a particular gift there to minister to the divorced. So check out Rose Sweet. We love her. We recommend her to you. And we're happy, happy. It's not just a sponsorship. We, we're, we're only taking sponsors for these episodes who we really, really believe in. And we certainly believe in Rose Sweet. Is there anything going on with the Institute that you want to share with our listeners? Yes, we have at the end of this month, you can check out the link in the show notes. We have an online Theology of the Body Level 1 course. Mm. And if you have never taken TOB1, if you think, oh, I'll just never get to go to Pennsylvania and take the five-day course, the online version is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know what some people have said, taking it online. Uh, I'm so glad I took it online because I got to cry without other students all around me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and another person said, I, I'm really glad I took it online because I could pause and rewind you when you were making that point. <laughs> So yeah, there there are disadvantages to taking it online, but plenty of advantages as well. Yeah. So people from around the world will be joining you, part of the online experience. You watch the videos, but you also get to interact with me and Bill Dunahy in our live Q&A sessions that we do. Mm-hmm. So check out the link to learn more about that. Great. I have a question from a patron. Very good. Alexandra says, a friend of mine who was abused in her childhood recently told me, if God would ask me, I would ask to be non-binary because being a woman is too dangerous and I don't want to be a man either. How can I help her? She is already trying to read Theology of the Body for beginners. Alexandra, thank you for putting this to us. Alexandra, I, I hear in this pain. I I hear the cry, or you might even say the groan of our entire culture. And I think that the way she put it is, is very insightful. She said, because of this pain that she's experienced, what does she say? It's too, too dangerous to be a woman? Being a woman is too dangerous. Being yeah. a woman is too dangerous. I get so angry here, and it's it's the it's a righteous anger. We are now reaping the horrific harvest of the lies of the sexual revolution. One of the greatest lies that we've been told through the sexual revolution is that to just indulge your libido will bring happiness. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Merely to indulge libido is to treat others as objects, as things to use for you to gratify yourself. Not only are you wounding yourself when you're indulging your libido because you're not acting from freedom, you're not acting in love, you're hurting yourself, but also, and even more tragically, you're wounding others. You're wounding others terribly. And this has happened 
over and over and over and over and over again to the point that the great mystery of human sexuality, that's how the Scripture describes it, human sexuality is a great mystery that reveals Christ's love for the church. The great mystery has been transformed in our culture into a great misery Mm. to the point that women like this precious person made in the image and likeness of God, designed as a woman to be a sign to the whole universe of heaven on earth. That's the dignity of woman. How so? Why so? Well, if Christmas is real, if God really entered this world through a woman's body, then woman's womb, woman's sexuality, woman's womanness is designed by God to be the dwelling place of the Lord, to be the dwelling place of God, to be heaven on earth. This is the great dignity of woman. This is the biblical message of who woman truly is. She is the temple. She is the dwelling place of the Lord. We are to worship the Lord, but we are to honor and reverence the temple, the dwelling place of the Lord, the ark of the Lord. And I I love this in terms of, you know, that righteous anger I feel. I I love this uh, story in the Old Testament where, (laughs) which is all, if we have, if we're reading the Bible rightly, in terms of the types of the Old Testament, typology means a study of types where you're looking at images of the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in the New, Mm -hmm. the Ark of the Covenant is the container, the gold container of the Word of God written in stone tablets in the Old Testament. It's also what contains the manna from heaven and a few other things. But this is fulfilled, that type is fulfilled in Mary's womb. Because Mary's womb is where the Word of God was made flesh, not inscribed in in stone tablets, but made flesh, and it's where the bread from heaven came down. Mary's womb, Mary's body, Mary's sexuality is the fulfillment, super abundant fulfillment of the beautiful mystery of the ark. And what happened when somebody reached out to touch the ark without the proper reverence in the Old Testament? The dude was struck dead. Hmm. right? This is how God guards the temple, which is the human body. Uh, Think of the clearing of the temple. We often don't think of this, do we, in terms of the theology of our bodies? But it's right there in the scripture that when Jesus cleared the temple, you know, he with zeal, zeal for God's house consumed him. And all those who were turning the temple of the Lord into a den of thieves into a marketplace were driven out by the righteous anger of the Lord. And they say, who are you to do this? And he said, well, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. And then the scripture says he was talking about his body. Yeah. Well, we are his body. Mm. This woman who, who says it's too dangerous to be a woman because she's been abused as a woman, I see the Lord clear in the temple. I see the Lord overcome by zeal for this woman, 
for zeal by zeal for her true dignity mm. and he wants to cast out everyone who has made her body a, a, a marketplace, a thing to be bought and sold or used or abused. And there is a death involved in our own lives when we're treated this way. But here's the good news. The, in, in any sense that this woman's body, her temple, the temple is, her body is a temple. Mm. The sense that this temple has been violated or, or in some way even destroyed, the dignity of it in some sense destroyed or robbed by these thieves, Christ is going to raise her temple. This is the promise, the solution to the great misery of human sexuality in the world in which we live. The great mystery, as I said, has become a great misery because we use and abuse one another. The solution to this great misery that we are experiencing is not to reject or hate our bodies and our sexuality. The solution to the great misery is the greatness of God's misericordia, which is Latin for mercy. And it means a heart that gives itself to those in misery. Alexandra, your dear friend, is experiencing a great misery because she's her temple has been so seriously violated. The solution to that great misery is great misericordia, mercy, mercy, mercy. Christ bears in his own body all the misery that your dear friend has endured. He bears it in his own body and he lets it take him the whole way into hell. Your dear friend has experienced a kind of hell. But here's the good news. Christ has descended into her hell to transform the darkest misery into glory, into glory. This is the, this is the story of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. Whatever hell we have experienced, Christ has descended into it with us to turn that hell inside out, if you will, to, trans to, to, to transform it into glory, to grab that hell by its coattails, if you will, and to, to reverse it, to raise it the whole way up, it transformed into glory. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. He was talking about his body, and we are his body. Your dear friend is his body. Your dear friend's hell is Jesus's hell. And Christ promises to transform our hells into heavenly glory. That's misericordia. I'd say this to Alexandra and any listener who is kind of bearing the suffering of a friend or family member, someone that you know and have heard from them about their pain and suffering. That's a special call as a person of faith to intercede for that person. By intercede, I mean to pray in a way that is really asking specifically for God's grace in very specifically painful situations. And so I really encourage you, Alexandra, to lift your own feelings about what your friend is suffering 
to the Lord for him to speak to your heart and to pray that he would also speak to her heart in very meaningful personal ways that would bring about her healing. You talked about um, her just saying, if God would ask me, and I think that very question or that very comment of hers is a hopeful one in that she's saying, like, I want God's help in my life. Like, she's connecting the pain that she's feeling about being a woman to God somehow, not that she's blaming him, but that she's longing for an answer. So I think that that in itself is hopeful, that she has a friend like you who is praying for her and seeking to help her is hopeful. So I really encourage you that you can help her by your real intercession as you bring things to the Lord and allow him to speak to you. He gives you wisdom to share in her journey that is unique to your relationship with her, but that's how God's going to work. So I really, I, I feel a great hope both for you and for your friend that there's grace coming as Christopher has spoken about the incredible power of the resurrection being at work in this situation. Alexandra, I also feel led to extend to you and to your friend uh, a scholarship to the online TOB1 course coming up at the end of this month. If that is of interest to you uh, and to your friend, please contact Michelle. Her email address is Michelle with one L at tobinstitute.org. So M-I-C-H-E-L-E at tobinstitute.org. And tell Michelle that I am extending to you and your friend uh, a full scholarship to the TOB1 course online at the end of July. Our next question is from a listener named Robbie. If I have premarital sex with my boyfriend, whom I love, but we just don't want to get married yet because of the economy, but I love him and we're sure we both want to be together forever, is it still wrong? Robbie, let me draw an important distinction. Just because you love someone doesn't mean everything you do is loving for or to that person. Wendy, I really, really love you. I really, really do. Thank you. Like for reals. Oh, that's so awesome. But you know, not everything I do is loving. Okay. True. It's true, right? So we, my point here is that I believe your love for your boyfriend is genuine. Uh, I don't question that at all. Uh, Wendy, you don't question that my love for you is genuine. No, I don't. It's real. But you know, as you've just admitted, there are lots of things I do that are unloving. And Robbie, I believe you love your boyfriend, but if you were to have sex with him, that would be unloving. Mm. What is sex? What does it mean? What are you saying? John Paul II says our bodies are prophetic. What does he mean by that? They're meant to proclaim the truth of divine love. That's what a prophet does. But we have to be careful, he says, to distinguish between true and false prophets, because if we can speak the truth with our bodies, we can also speak lies with our bodies. We all know it's possible to lie with our body. 
suppose you bought a used car and the salesman knows he sold you a lemon and he looks you in the eye and he shakes your hand. It's a lie. Mm. The kiss of Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane is so offensive because it was a lie. Yes. Well, what does sexual intercourse look like when it proclaims the truth? When those participating in the act are being true prophets? Well, it looks just like God's love, which is freely given, totally given, faithfully given, and open to life-givingness. In other words, genuine love, sexual love, genuine sexual love, is free, it is total, it is faithful, it is fruitful, it is open to life. Another name for that kind of love is marriage. That's exactly what a man and a woman commit to at the altar. Before God and before the entire community, they pledge. The priest asks them, have you come here freely? They say yes, they pledge that they have. The priest asks them, have you come here freely to give yourselves to one another without reservation? They say, we have. They pledge, we have. We're coming freely to give ourselves to each other totally, without reservation. The priest asks them, do you pledge, do you promise to be faithful to one another all the days of your life? They say, yes, we do. Do you promise, do you pledge to receive children lovingly from God? Yes, we do, they say. Now, having made those pledges, those vows, those commitments, now they can express those commitments with the language of their bodies. That's what sexual intercourse is. In other words, sexual intercourse is an expression and renewal of wedding vows, of loving divinely. God loves us in that way, freely, totally, faithfully, fruitfully. If you love your boyfriend in that way, go see a priest. It's time to get married. But let's be honest. Let's be very honest. You are not married yet. You don't have wedding vows yet to renew. To engage in an act that is meant to be the renewal of wedding vows, when you don't have wedding vows to renew, makes you a false prophet. I hold that out to you with love. I hold that out to you with an invitation to open your heart to the grace that makes this not a burden, but a joy to live. Loving truthfully is joyful. There are pulls in us, there are temptations in us to live contrarily to the truth of love. But when we follow those temptations, we're not loving. It is not loving to follow those temptations. We call it love. We want to call it love because we don't really want to fess up that it's not love. But as John Paul II says, what we often call love in the sexual realm, if we're honest with ourselves, in the end, it amounts oftentimes to two people using each other and calling it love. What is love? What is love? Robbie, to love sexually is to give yourself freely, totally, faithfully, fruitfully. If you're ready for that, you're ready to exchange wedding vows. Wendy, what are your thoughts? I would just say, Robbie, I think it's a beautiful thing to find the person that you know you want to marry. So many of us are longing for that in the world. And you, if you have found that treasure, then live that reality as a gift from the Lord and be ready to honor God in all ways in your relationship so that 
you don't damage the gift that he's giving you. That's my prayer for you is that you'll recognize what an incredible gift that is and you'll want to treasure it by living truthfully. Wendy, I know I've said this before, but I, I always appreciate the angle that you see on what people write to us. I thought that was really special. Hey, thanks. You're welcome. What's our next question? From a listener named Johan. Hello, Johan. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Christopher. I thank both of you for the blessing you've been in my life. My question is about someone who's already experienced a significant degree of sexual redemption. I would consider myself to be part of that group. But when I go for a walk or shopping, my eyes are still often drawn to the female body parts that reveal their fertility. I don't really have lustful thoughts after them, and I always try to see the whole person and thank God for all the beauty he created around me. But the fact remains that this is what catches my eye, and I partly ascribe that to my sexual past. Should I overcome this? What would be the most dignifying way to look at the women around me? Johan, I really like your question. It just shows that you're living the journey, brother. You're on it. Uh, and the fact that this is stirring in your heart and you're looking for, for some counsel here, I just want to affirm you, brother, to stay on the journey you're on and keep going. And I just want to say this like plainly. Uh, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you that you are drawn to those parts of a woman's body that reveal her fertility. And I love the way you said that. The fact that you said it that way says to me that you're already well on this road of integration, right? Because lust is always seeking to separate those parts of the body from fertility, right? Lust is a grasping at, a taking that does not honor that all of this is meant to lead to motherhood, right? And fatherhood. Mm -hmm. The fact that you even phrased it that way, I'm attracted to the parts of the woman's body that reveal her fertility, is already a beautiful sign of an integration underway. And I would just say to you, brother, don't, don't beat yourself up for that. Praise the Lord that you see the beauty of woman's fertility. And, and keep going on the road of integration. Now, a, a man, let's just take as an example, I don't know if this is you, um, but a man could, could be struck by a woman's breasts, for example, and see her breasts in an integrated way, uh, not be lusting, uh, see her breasts in a, in a way that honors the beauty of woman, the dignity of woman, the function of the breast as realizing these are, are meant to, to nourish offspring, you could see that in an integrated way, and it still wouldn't necessarily be a good idea to have your eyes zooming in on her breasts because she doesn't necessarily know how you're looking at her. That could be very awkward. That could be <laughs> a, a, not an appropriate situation. So I'm not suggesting here that I'm giving you license just for a free-for-all to, oh, I'm, I can look at a woman's breast in an integrated way, so I'm just going to stare at every woman's breast who walks by. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, rather, I see signs in, in your very question that you're on the road to integration. Uh, rejoice. Rejoice that you see the woman's body as something beautiful, but keep going. I'm reminded of... Um 
the book Love and Responsibility that John Paul II wrote before he was Pope. He talks about the sexual values. Yes. And I feel like maybe that section of Love and Responsibility would be meaningful for Johan. I don't know if you remember any parts yes, of that that you yes. could share. Thanks, with him. Wendy. That, I'm so glad you brought that up. In Love and Responsibility, John Paul II says that attraction to sexual values must be integrated to the level of the dignity of the person. Mm -hmm. That chastity, purity, is not a rejection of those sexual values. Right. It's not a pretending that they don't exist. It's a, an elevation of the sexual values to the level of the dignity of the person. And it sounds to me like Johann is already on that journey, and I would just say, keep going. Mm -hmm. Keep going. John Paul even says in Love and Responsibility that when a man or a woman accents sexual values in the way he or she may dress, it is not in and of itself immodest, right? We can have this idea of modesty as, as a total hiding of sexual values, as if a woman had to suppress every curve of her body. No, a woman should dress in such a way that it is very clear that she's a woman, mm. right? A man should dress in a way that it's clear that, that he's a man. Uh, and even accenting the sexual values, John Paul II says, is not in and of itself immodest. What is immodest, he says, is when we accent the sexual values with the explicit aim of inciting and arousing lust in others. Mm-hmm. Right? That's immodest. And we could flip that around and say, what is immodest when we look at the sexual values of another is when we look with the intention to use that other as an object for my own lustful gratification. Uh, is that a temptation for Johann? I'm sure it's still a temptation for him, even though he's on the road, because we can never be 100% free of the inclination to concupiscence or of concupiscent inclination, it's a battle, but the battle lessens. The battle lessens as we progress, and I think Johann has experienced that, and I just say, brother, keep going. What is the most dignified way here to see a woman? To see her body, her whole body, her beautiful body, as the revelation of the dignity of her person as someone made in the image and likeness of God. And if there are doubters out there who say, that's not possible, you just have to stare at the sidewalk for the rest of your life, I say, Christ came to give sight to the blind. And it really is real. The Catechism says, even now, that means here in this life, even now, purity of heart enables us to see the body of another as something beautiful that God has created as a temple of the Lord. That's a paraphrase of what the Catechism says, but it's not far off from what it actually says. Even now, purity of heart allows us to see the human body as a temple of the Lord, as a work of divine beauty. So keep going, brother, and may we all keep going on this journey, that our eyes would be opened to who we really are, that we are all, each and every one of us, indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gifts of life and love. And may we all become what we are. 
Last Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.